This is Michael Easley in context, and you are very used to hearing Michael Easley's voice at the front of an episode. But today I am taking over co-hosting chair, and I'm going to be turning the tables on him. I'm hijacking so it. Yeah. I'm hijacking. My name is Hannah Seymour. If we haven't met before, I am Michael Easley's daughter. and uh, Firstborn. Firstborn, and we have a lot of fun working together. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor. Amen. It's been a lot of years. It's pretty crazy. How long has it been? Do you know? Seven? Eight. Eight? Goodness. Well, I think, yeah, coming up on eight. So I know, pretty crazy. You put up with me still. Yeah. I'm I'm grateful. And mutual. She actually actually does all the work. I just (laughs) just plather on. Well, I don't know about that. Anyway, we thought that for a new year, we would have a conversation about New Year's goals and spiritual disciplines. So I kind of wanted to let you talk about, because hearing you tell this story has clearly impacted me, and I think about it all the time, about how you are a very disciplined guy. You are a strategic guy. You're goal-oriented. So, you know, I'm sure for years of your young adult life, you would sit down and go, okay, these are going to be my goals for this coming year, and these are the things I'm going to work on. And you would even share those with a group of your friends for accountability. And so you can certainly talk some more about that, whatever I missed. But I really want you to kind of start with talking about the year that you started thinking about those goals differently. It would have been seminary, and it would have been Howard Hendricks, who I mention so often. He was a big imprint in my life. He often said, if you don't write it down, if you don't have a goal, you'll never get it done. Mm. And I've learned over my entire lifetime, it's true with publishing, it's true with anything. If you don't put it on a piece of paper, and in yeah. our, our day, it was a day timer. It was a physical calendar, yeah. and we wrote things down. And I actually went to Charles Hobbs Time Management Seminar. Mm. It was the ABC one, two, three system. I never really used the whole thing, but what it did help me focus on was what do I need to do today? Yeah. What has to be done by the end of the week? Yeah. And then like in grad school or seminary or whatever, post-grad, you've got papers and books. So you have to, people don't maybe, but you need to set it out and it works better. Mm-hmm. Jerry Jenkins, who's written almost 290 books, Golly. says over and over and over, write to deadline. You have to. 20 pages a week, five pages a week, doesn't matter, right Right to deadline. There are two types of people, published authors and (laughs) non-published. Published authors wrote to deadline. Right. If you want to go away and do it, fine. I don't care. Write to deadline. So it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. When we come to the spiritual side of life Mm -hmm. in seminary, it's almost comical. I should go back and pull them out of the file folders, but they were eight and a half by 11. And the first one was one page and I had one point like eight pages of goals and objectives and and uh, we would trade them with, uh, <laughs> there were four or five guys, it ended up being really two or three that were good at it. And we'd trade them. Okay. And then about December, when that transition between Thanksgiving and the new year, I would pull out my goals, mm-hmm. which I had glued in the front of my Bible. Sure. And I would go through and give a percentage. I'll just use Ned Amstotz as one example. He was very faithful and he would pray for me about my goals. He would call me randomly. How are you doing on number six? Mm, wow. It was never punitive. It was like encouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each year then I'd refine them. I don't remember what year it was, but I kind of crystallized them, Hannah, and it was like, okay, I really can't improve upon this. Mm. I'd gone from pedantic or like- Was one, it stuff like get in shape or read so many books this year? It was, it was always, it was, it was called personal spiritual disciplines, and it was always time in the word, okay. time in prayer. The prayer part was- probably the most robust because I had everybody's name and I had bullets below and I would amend that. And it was always the family, always the kids. 
And then it was my immediate family, not my your parents wife, and, but my yeah, parents yeah. and my siblings and their family and friends that I knew weren't believers. Mm-hmm. And then there would be like growth goals, like I need to study a topic, let's say the Holy Spirit, or sure. I need to study prayer. And I'd have books. One year, I read a book a week. I read 52 books. Mm-hmm. And that was a big goal. Yeah. Other years, I said it and didn't hit the mark, but that was okay. Sure. I got 40 books right. or 30 books. Right. I would always set goals for trying to be individual time with you guys. Mm. Didn't always do it, but mm-hmm. I tried. I said, mm-hmm. And I would talk about what do I need to do with that child? Mm-hmm. How do I encourage him or her? It's not like you're trying to make a straight A's. It's just you got it on a piece of paper. You're reading it. Got and, a plan. Yeah. Again, I finally got it crystallized. And it, that to be the man that God wants me to be, no matter what, it was you know to be a man of his word, to be a man of prayer, man of faith, a man who shares Christ with others, a man who's a good friend. And then there were points under that. Good friend is calling Dave and Robert and Traff and, you know, George or whomever is being on the phone with them, calling Paul, checking in with Doc, initiating summer text, summer call, summer mm-hmm. email. I've got a larger sphere of friends that aren't as intimate, but I try to email, send them a quote, mm-hmm. send them a funny that I think they'll like. It's a relational capacity. Yeah. How am I encouraging them in their faith? Now it's very different. Because mm-hmm. at this chapter of life, it's like, okay, I'm not in that role, mm-hmm. but I still have influence. Purpose is probably the hardest thing for guys. Mm-hmm. Distilling down, what's my purpose? Mm-hmm. Job makes you busy. Deadlines, goals, objectives, pay, salary, commission, mm-hmm. uh, patients, students, check boxes. But what's my purpose? Mm-hmm. And until you distill that down, this is why God has me on the planet. I don't think you can do it overnight. And your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s are all different. And would you say your purpose looks different 100%. based on those decades? Yeah. It's more refined, I would hope. Sure. Because you can't do all this you did in 20s and 30s. Right. Your 20s are your fun, feverish, exciting years. Your 30s are settling because mm-hmm. you're probably in a role that's going to be who you are. Your 40s, you're locked. Mm-hmm. Your mortgage, your children's age, if you have mm-hmm. children, you're pretty locked. Your survival Your 50s typically are your highest earning years, and you start to have a little freedom, but you're still parenting. Your 60s, your financial years are set. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you might work to your 70, but you're pretty set. Hopefully, you're out of debt along the way. Hopefully, you're responsible, a steward of life. And then you start saying, now, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. Our friend Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else so you can live like no one else. And I tease him and say, what's that second part mean? (laughs) (laughs) I did all that before I even knew you. I had no debt. We paid off everything. The mortgage was paid off, and we paid cash for our cars. So, you know, you got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Not what somebody else wants for you. Right. I can't play golf. I can't do other things. And so that's a a solo time with you and the Lord. Mm -hmm. But to me, it always goes back to spending time here, Mm -hmm. spending time in prayer. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about Valley of Vision. We've talked about Handbook Mm -hmm. to Prayer. We've talked about Joy and Strength, these prayer aids. I wrote prayers for years, wrote them out like a psalm, mix it up. Each year I would pick one thing that threatened me. Mm -hmm. And that was another prof lesson was, you know, and so for example, I studied Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. I had never liked that book. (laughs) It was hard, cumbersome, and confusing. I spent three years in the Hebrew text Mm. And it was the most incredible time. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to force myself to go to a different book. Mm. And it taught me an invaluable lesson. And 
I mean, there were other things that were outside the Bible. One year I got into Einstein. Mm-hmm. One year I got into Thurber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, always kind of something yeah. that you like get kind of obsessive and, about. And a few years ago I got into audio, right? audiophile, right. and listening to music at a different level and yeah. higher quality, yeah. higher resolution music. And I'm a learner. Let me learn about that. Mm-hmm. When Oppenheimer movie came out a while back, a couple years yeah. ago, I think I read more about that time of our history. I studied very intense documentaries, four mm-hmm. or five of them. And I remember this one for weeks. Oh, and your I, mom was like, she was done. done. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I hit the bottom of what I want to <laughs> do with Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project. General Chase is a fascinating character who's not really talked about a lot. Mm. I think he's probably, if not more important, he's certainly as important as wow. Oppenheimer was wow, in the Manhattan Project. And he's he was a general, army general. Well, I do want to get into kind of some ideas for folks as they want to think intentionally about spiritual growth. But before we do that, I want to back up and you were always setting goals, but there was one year that you decided, I don't know if you would call it a goal, but you basically said, I'm going to put something down that only the Lord can accomplish. Yes. So talk about that for a little bit. So because disciplined people can get things done and check the boxes, yeah. It was Ned Amstotz who brought this up to me, and he said, Michael, you're a super disciplined guy, but you can do all these out of sheer willpower and discipline. Wow. And I went, okay, what's your point? And he goes, <laughs> and your point can is- you put a goal down there that only the Lord could accomplish in your mm. life? That was clarifying. Yeah. And it was convicting because mm. I was pretty proud sure. when I hit 80% or yeah. read the, through the Bible and the, on yeah. the Robert Murray Mushane yeah. program, which yeah. is the apple, only one. Apple, tree, yeah. apple. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, Sorry kid. I relate. This <laughs> resonates. Kid. Yeah. And it was humbling in my little prayer book called Interludes that I think is only electronic now. MichaelInContext.com. You can buy your own copy there. <laughs> yeah, but people don't read prayer books. It's interesting. I love prayer books. I don't think that's true. I think one guy said that to you, and you've taken that as the gospel truth. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I wrote a prayer called a non-anxious presence. Yeah. Because I can be in a meeting, and I don't want to talk to these people. I don't want to listen to this person prattle on because I'm a prattler. I don't care about that thing. This is stupid. Why are we still talking about this? Why do we have to meet? Why do we go to a meeting? This guy talks the entire time, not me, you know, feeling like I don't want to be here. This is a waste mm-hmm. of my time. And I thought, wait a minute, God loves these people. Mm-hmm. I'm just using a meeting as an example. Yeah. But I'd get anxious. Mm-hmm. I'd get my stomach would be in a knot. I'd want to do something else than look at this piece of paper mm-hmm. for the agenda for two hours. And so I started praying about this. In the morning, I would wake up and my mind would just go like a horse mm-hmm. run, run, run to do, to do, to do. And so I started praying this non-anxious prayer pretty much every day. And the last line was something to the effect of, I used to have it memorized, the answer to this prayer will not be profound or public, Yeah. but you and I will know. Yeah. And it took a long time, Yeah. but I could see little gains. I could be in a meeting and I could see a person going on. I could look at someone else and I said, I need to pray for that guy. Because he needs help. <laughs> it's better than me being upset here. Right. And then Floyd Sharp, who was one of my mentors with the Lord, Floyd would always quote, be anxious for nothing. And then he would always say, a good word encourages, but an anxious heart weighs down. Mm. He memorized scripture probably until the week he died. He loved walking and memorizing the Bible. He would always tell me, you're a perfectionist, you're anxious, you're too driven. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a perfectionist. You look the way you dress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My father taught me to shine shoes. What am I going to say? I think there's the people that know you and can speak into your soul. Mm-hmm. If Hendrix or Floyd or Dr. Hall said something to me, I took it to the bank. Mm-hmm. Going forward, I would set these goals that I'd look back and say, I can share Christ with four or five guys, but really, if Christ doesn't do it, Right. It's just a conversation right. I feel good about talking to my neighbor right. about the Lord. Right. And so those kinds of things, they were pivotal. Mm. And the Lord, in his kindness, did a lot of things that still blow my mind. Mm-hmm. So when you think about, okay, I'm going to ask God to change my anxious heart. I'm going to ask God to remove anxiety from my hour by hour, yeah. day by day. That's totally something only the Lord can do. And at the same time, you and I can do things, this is probably stealing your words, but we can put ourselves in a posture that allows God to work. You know, God can do anything. So if he wants to grab us by the ear and yank us over here, he can do that. But I think more often than not, what we see is a willingness, a posture that invites God's activity in our Mm -hmm. lives generally produces more fruit than it's rare that he just, you know, against our will, yanks us over to someplace. I think he does it. But anyway, so all that to say, talk about if someone's going, okay, I like this. I want to have something for 2024 that only the Lord can do. And probably as folks are listening or watching, something's already come to mind because I think we all know we all have that one thing that's just, God, it's there. It's on the forefront. We would get rid of it tomorrow if we could, and we haven't been able to because it's yeah. it's beyond our you know own abilities. Then what are some things that we can do or disciplines or habits that we can kind of create to put ourselves in that posture? You know, I've often said that faithful obedience does not mean God is going to bless me. It's not prosperity theology. If I do this, right. then God will do that. But I do think faithful obedience puts us in a posture mm-hmm. for God to bless mm-hmm. me. Not one-to-one, not guaranteed, but if we're living faithfully, if we're keeping short account of our sin, if we're trying to grow in Christ, it's the same thing. Time in the Word, God's Word, God's Spirit, God's people. Our hands are open now. Mm -hmm. Will God do something? I don't know. Right. But that's the posture, I believe. Now, certainly He blesses us when we're sinful and crazy and apathetic, but that's not what He desires. Mm -hmm. He he loves us. He wants us to obey us, and He wants us to live an abundant life. Mm -hmm. Not rich or prosperous the way the world defines it, but a spiritually abundant life. And in that, you find real peace. Mm-hmm. The things of the world, they will never satisfy. Yeah. Bigger, better, newer, more never satisfies. Mm-hmm. I got a new truck last year. It didn't satisfy for very long. Mm-hmm. Things don't satisfy. Somehow this American mindset of consumerism, bigger, better, newer, more, is really a plague in our hearts and contentment is so rare. Uh, Contentment, says Paul, I've learned to be content in wealth and in poverty. I don't know people that are content in either either of those situations. (laughs) And it's enough. I remember that was one of those goals years ago was I studied contentment. Mm -hmm. And I looked up every word in the Bible that was a cognate or related to that idea of contentment. And it was a very short study. Mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't spend a year on it. It was probably a few weeks. And I remember sitting back in my office in Virginia going, the word means enough. Wow. It just means enough. Yeah. When is it enough? Yeah. That's a big spiritual lesson for me. Yeah. Time in the word, you know, setting those goals, asking God to bless me, mm-hmm. being careful of, you know, traps mm-hmm. and entrapments. I just can't overstate how important it is to have other 
men or women in yeah. your life who you trust and they may be older, they may be mentors, they may be peers, they might be younger, mm-hmm. um, that rub on you to sharpen your, you know, mm-hmm. iron sharpen iron as a friend. I think that's probably the, this culture talks a lot about community yeah. and connecting. Yeah. And I understand that, but Proverbs talks about friends. Yeah. You got to have them to sharpen yeah. you and speak the truth to you. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right. I used to talk about this immense conferences. I go, we all know that verse. Has any friend wounded you? <laughs> if not, they're not a friend. Right. Right. And I've wounded my friends and my friends have wounded me. Yeah. And I appreciate that because I know they have my best in mind. Robert yeah. and I offend each other all the time. Yeah. Because we've got our best in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Christian life is incredible. Mm. And we're worried about the mortgage and the kids and the college funds and health and retirement and are we going to have enough and am I happy? Am I fulfilled? Am I actualized? Okay, am how I... do we get out of it? I mean, <laughs> it, don't say God's word, God's spirit, God's people. <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> I'll just be quiet. No. <laughs> That's why I talk about the decades. It's normal in your 20s and 30s to have these affections. Yeah. It's normal. And you can't jump over them. You know, sometimes a kid who's really smart can skip eighth grade. Right. But you can't skip four years. Right. Right. Well, maybe, right. maybe somebody did, but what I'm, the point I'm making, it just takes time. Yeah. Uh, I've watched young pastors be so foolish, you know, make so many unforced errors. Mm. There's no remedy. You can't fix immaturity. It takes time and mistakes. Right. Are you willing at the end of the year to look at those goals and say, I really messed up? Right. I did not pray through Mm -hmm. this. I did not. You mentioned it earlier when you're talking about anxiety in the Mm -hmm. heart of a man or anger or Mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. When that thing overwhelms you, stop right there and say, okay, Lord, this is the one I need your help on. Mm -hmm. We had a question a while back about a person who was just like majorly disconnected and busy and stressed out. Stop. Line them up. You can't do more than two or three things. Right. You can't. Right. Line them up and then say, okay, Lord, I really want to work on this depression thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read some books on it. Mm-hmm. I might talk to a counselor a couple mm-hmm. times. I might talk to a friend that I can trust. Mm-hmm. And I want to pray about my depression, read about it, understand what it is. Search the scriptures. 100%. Yeah. Memorize a couple of verses, roll it over, roll it over, roll it over. When I when I get there, I'm going to stop, drop, and roll. I'm going to say, okay, Lord. Right. I'm feeling it creep. I'm starting to get anxious in this meeting. I used to could pray Mm -hmm. that prayer from memory, Mm -hmm. and it would just calm me right down. Mm -hmm. I said, thank you, Lord. It's recalibrating, recalibrating. Dave Mm -hmm. Gibson always says, Michael, you got to recalibrate, recalibrate, recalibrate. He's the friend that says, I don't know if you need encouragement or a dope slap. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we have that transaction. I'll call him out. He'll call me out. Yeah. I've worked hard on those friendships. Let's talk about that for a minute because I do think, I mean, you say people talk about community and things like that a lot, but the research shows that we're the loneliest generation that's ever been. And our anxiety and depression primarily stems from that loneliness. We're more connected online, but we're more disconnected relationally than ever before. Okay, let me ask you a question. Your generation and younger, the dopamine mm-hmm. from social media. Yeah. The impact of that, I think, is one has like neurologically, if not the, it's one of the top, top, top yeah. issues because this action, yeah, this dopamine hit, 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 yeah. hit, hit. My dentist told me people that chew their fingernails, mm-hmm. 
they don't do it because their fingernails bother them. It's a dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. Every time they bite, dopamine, dopamine. It's the same action as this. And now you got people who are bent over doing this all day. They're in a right. room. This is what they do. Right. And we're not doing it for information. Right. That connection socially mm-hmm. is actually disconnected from totally. interpersonal relationships. Yeah, totally. I think technology is wonderful. I love technology, but it's gone too far. Yeah. AI, yeah. GP chat's terrifying to me. Yeah. So I think your time period is different than mine or my parents. Right. Sure. Well, yes, of course. The distractions I mean, are larger. Yeah. The money's bigger. Yeah. The opportunities are exponential. Yeah. What your mom and I had. And we had a lot more than our parents. Yeah. There's got to be a cascade at some point mm-hmm. where you just can't sustain bigger, better, yep. newer, more. There is a normal rhythm to being busy and parenting sure. and young in your marriage sure. and paying the mortgage and, yeah. you know, the car breaks down and the refrigerator breaks down, the dishwasher leaks, and my kids got the flu for the third time in one season. That's just a busy time. Right, right. And that's when people do too much. Right. My focus is my kids, my family, yeah. my job. I yeah. can't do all these other things. Right. You know, you're right. really overcommitted. You're doing right. a lot of things. Yeah. And that adds to that stress. Yeah. On the other hand, when you get to your forties, a lot of that's settled. Yeah. When I thought about med school in nineteen eighty five, after college, work, four years of seminary, two or three years of being a pastor, and I thought, I think I'm gonna go to med school. I ran the traps. Went and talked to a bunch of people. I actually went down to Baylor Hospital where a friend of mine was on the admissions board, Dr. Don Hunt. He kind of stopped his day, and we talked, put our feet up on his desk, and he was very excited to help me. And we went over and talked to some of his other physicians in his group. He took me to lunch, and he actually wrote a piece of paper what I needed to do. And I needed to go back and pick up chemistry, biology, things that I didn't take in college. He goes, you need to go back to college for at least one year, make a 4.0 on this. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to study for the MCAT that year. And then next year, you'll take the MCAT. Mm-hmm. Now, I love college. I love mm-hmm. studying. And mm-hmm. I thought, I can do this. Yeah. So I go home and tell your mom, I'm going to go to med school. And I explained to her, it'll be 10 years mm-hmm. before I make any money. Yeah. We'll be impoverished. And your mom, being the incredible woman she is, said, well, I guess at some point we'll have to sell the house. If it gets really, really, really bad, we could live with one of our parents. Mm-hmm. Now, that's your mom. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Most women say, you're crazy. I just right, right. through four years of seminary. <laughs> yeah, I, you know. I can leave you yeah. or you can yeah. do something. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm making $23,000 a year when right. my peer making sixty in those right. days. And it was like we were barely making it anyway. And it was a very exciting time. And I got real into it, talked to other doctors and I've told the story before about going to tell Dr. Hendricks and he just slammed the door in my face and said, you were given a stewardship. Mm-hmm. And when I went to seminary, there was one in four guys getting in. And he goes, you displaced other men. And we were ironically at Baylor Hospital in the dining hall. And he says, I got a guy on the sixth floor who's a surgeon. He ain't doing this. Mm. And I tried to explain to him my interest in surgery and medical missions. He wouldn't have it. He was angry. And I went home crushed and knew that I had to stay in ministry. Mm. Now, that was a wound of a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mm-hmm. play the if then. I mm-hmm. still love medicine and, you know, things yeah. like that. It's yeah. intriguing to me. The guys my age in medicine, most of them don't like it. Interesting. It's changed. Yeah. 
when they got in to be a surgeon and now they're a lawyer and a medical records person, right. they're not right, doing right, what right. they were trained to do. Right. It's all changed. Be that as it may, this life is exciting and wonderful and opportunistic and uh, and you guys have uh, three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And so somehow you got to stop and be different mm-hmm. and say, I'm not going to get pulled into this vortex. Comparison is the kiss of death of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And we compare ourselves to other people who are our age, making more money, more visible, more this, more that, better podcasts. Yeah. Boy, it's, you know, dang, why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. Well, I've been to the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like. And it's not all glamour. Right. It's really interesting. Right. And certain people are wired for it and others aren't. Right. But I've been in the top mountain a couple of times and it was a it was an incredible opportunity. I'm glad I'm out there. Yeah. I'm content. Yeah. It was enough. I went up there and saw what it was like. Better men could do this than me. Yeah. Great experience, great privilege, mm-hmm. great opportunities. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, when you get in bed. Can you look back on the day and say, Lord, thanks. Mm. And I'm ready for tomorrow, yep. whatever it brings. Yep. And I want to serve you and I want to be content with my lot in life. Mm-hmm. Not discontent, mm-hmm. but not greedy, not malcontent, mm-hmm. not, you know, the whole cycle. And right. again, age has a lot, it yeah. wears on you. Yeah. By your 30s and 40s, you should be pretty settled in who you are mm-hmm. and not chasing so hard. Mm-hmm. So for folks as they're thinking through, okay, goals for this year, and if they're going, yeah, I really do need to invest in some friendships. You know, I think there are a lot of people that would say, I don't know who I'd call if I got in a bind or, you know, so they're going, okay, I know this is a priority. This is something I need. This is something I want to make a priority. What are some things that you would say, okay, maybe consider these three things. How do you, if you're going to prioritize building Christ-centered friendships, where do you start? The first thing I want to say is taking initiative to pursue people yeah. is hard for most folks. Yeah. They have unrealistic expectations. And I had a lot of false starts over the years. I pursued too many people. Mm. You get conflicting counsel. A man of many friends comes to ruin. Yeah. So you have to be careful. We want good counselors. Number one, look in your sphere of influence. There's mm-hmm. got to be people. Now, I will say this a lot of my friends were very unlikely. Mm. Floyd Sharp was the most unlikely friend. <laughs> yeah. If you'd have given me a line of 10 people, yeah, I would never, never have picked Floyd him. Sharp. He wore jumpsuits that zipped up. He put smiley face stickers on his person. He had those glasses that transition when you come into fluorescent yes. lights. Yes. He stirred his coffee with his cross pen and put it back in his pocket. <laughs> he would hug women randomly at the cafeteria. <laughs> you look like you need a hug. He was a remarkable guy, but boy, he was a father. Mm-hmm. So they're probably right there. Yeah. Now, you won't get everything out of each relationship. And totally. that's where you have to understand. So the Rick Hurst, the Lee Danis, the John Aldridge, the Floyd Sharp, the Howard Hendricks, the Dr. Alan Hull, the people that really imprinted me, some of my professors, Bill Lawrence, it wasn't everything. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we get off. Mm-hmm. But I learned from them. Obviously, if you're married, I want to find somebody that's got a really good marriage Mm -hmm. and learn from them. If I'm a parent, I'm probably going to hang out with other parents. Mm -hmm. We had couples in seminary that were ahead of us with children that we watched how they had. uh, I'll never forget this one couple and how he delighted in playing with his kids. Mm. And we actually babysit for them a few times. And it was fun. 
And that was the first time it was like, oh, having kids might be fun. Mm-hmm. Because your mom wanted four, and I was like, well, if we have them, we have them. Mm-hmm. It was just an interesting relationship. So I learned something from different individuals. Number one, look at your sphere of influence. Probably number one, pray. I mean, this should be spiritual. Right. Ask God to give you some really good friends. Yeah. Look at your sphere of yeah. influence. Have a cup of coffee metaphorically. Don't expect the world. Yeah. All these relationships I'm talking about were very slow burn. Uh, they didn't happen quick. Mm-hmm. There were some quick connections, like mm-hmm. Dave Gibson and I. We connected quickly because of our what we were doing in ministry. But that relationship was formed over years. Mm-hmm. Robert White and I connected very quickly, but that relationship was post seminary. It was during and post seminary. And then I would chase the kind of the let's call them the mentors, the Howard Hendricks, the Alan Hulls, Floyd Sharps. I would chase those people mm-hmm. and pursue them. They're busy folks. Yep. You know, so if you get a 30-minute lunch, take it. And then have mm-hmm. a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on in your life spiritually? Mm-hmm. How would you encourage a 29-year-old pastor? Whatever right. the question would be. And I journaled for years. I kept a little book with me, and I would write down what Dr. Hall said or mm-hmm. what Floyd said. And it's an aggregate. But I think the bigger point is, will you take the initiative? And then some are going to not work. Right. You're going to spend some time with them and go, this ain't going to go anywhere. Right, right, right. This guy is into whatever, and I'm mm-hmm. not. I have a friend that's my tech friend. I have a friend that's my audio friend. Yeah. I have a friend that's my all-purpose friend. <laughs> I, have, I mean, I do. And I, I don't mean unkind, but I don't give them certain things. They don't give me certain things. Right. Right. And, and they're at different places. Right. So, you know, I have a group called the Wobbly Old Men. We get right. together annually. And I think I'm the youngest of the group. There's five of us. And we call our Wobbly because, you know, we used to backpack and climb and yeah. hike. And only one still does that. But the rest of us admire him <laughs> and we basically eat and kvetch you know yeah. and we sit around and yeah. tell lies and stories and try to amuse each other it's really important yeah it's a big deal yeah you know it's not that hard it just takes a lot of persistence mm-hmm. and planning i would say i mean yeah. tyler and i did not do this perfectly by any means and even covid happened a little bit after we had made these plans so that really disrupted things for a while but we at the end of 2019 said okay what are we going to do to pursue relationships with folks that, you know, are equal? Like we pour into them, but they also pour into us. We all leave feeling encouraged. Yeah, yeah. And then what are we going to do about pouring into other people that's just pure ministry? You know, we're not like necessarily gaining anything out of it. But we kind of said, okay, what if we did Friday nights and three out of four Friday nights, we have someone over to our house We're going to make sure two of those nights are people where it's mutual, where we're, you know, one time a month, it's going to be someone that we're not expecting to get anything out of, except we're just trying to help them where they are and love on them and encourage them and challenge them and maybe suggest something that might (laughs) might push them on a little bit. And then we said, okay, and then what if you get one night a month and I get one night a month? Tuesdays were what we chose. And you're going to go out with guy friends once a month on Tuesday nights. And I'm going to go out with girlfriends once a month on Tuesday nights and that, you know, just another, so it's not couples. It's, you know, it didn't work perfectly. And actually we also said what you're saying, go do a a weekend with guys at the cabin. I'll do a weekend with girls at the cabin. But, and again, have not executed that perfectly, but it was still something to shoot for and gave us a rhythm that we still, a lot of time, and we'll listen, we'll have months. We don't have anyone over at our house on a Friday night, but then, (laughs) but we also know Fridays are kind of, Hey, you want to have anyone over tonight. It's Friday night. You want to have over our neighbors or you want to have over that guy from work and his wife and their kid, you know, whatever. And I think it's just little stuff about that, about like creating some sort of plan 
of intentionality. Maybe it's, I'm going to try to rub shoulders with three guys this month that I yeah, haven't excellent. pursued or, I don't know, just well, You know, when we first moved to Tennessee, your mom and I did this two-year marriage mentor group thing for years. Yeah. We'd handpick a few couples, pour a lot of time into them. It was, we said no to a lot of things to say yes yeah. to the mentor group. Yeah. And uh, I would try to have lunch or coffee or whatever, hang with these guys. And one of the first groups I had, the guys were all into guns. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any guns at that point. I had had, you know, a twenty-two and a pellet gun as, you know, as a kid, whatever, but I didn't have any guns. And, but they were like, oh, Dr. E, we got to get you into guns. And so we go out and shoot paper targets. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm buying guns and we're going to shoot paper <laughs> targets together. But those, a couple of those guys had a really big knowledge bank mm-hmm. on loading and weapons and carrying yeah. and holsters sure. and shooting and targets and so forth. And we just went and shot paper targets together. Yeah. And then we go have a burger. Yeah. And it all come out. Yeah. I asked the questions. Yeah. So how are you and your bride doing? How are you yeah. and your wife doing? So what's going on? And when they started being parents, it was very interesting yeah. because they're all swimming upstream. Totally. And when you have your first child, you find out how different you are as a married couple. Yeah. <laughs> really different <laughs> yeah, ideas yeah, of how yeah, to raise this yeah. child. This is how I was raised yes, and what I'm totally. not going to do. And how, you know, and yes. it's a lot of joy. Those are excellent ideas. And I would say you had a lot. Right. It's great. Right. And I would say, okay, the next year, pare it down a little. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I did my goals. Yeah. I had too many and then too. Yeah. yeah. And then you find a, a, that sweet spot. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. I have collected you know, these kind of choice quotes over the years. Some of them are things I said extemporaneously that made sense later. One of them was, and it was when y'all were very young, and I said, isn't it amazing how many questions your kids ask you? I mean, really. They go all through this phase asking a zillion questions. Why this? Why that? They ask you to read a book, play a game, play ball, go for a bike ride, come watch them perform. On and on they go. Man, oh man, it wears me out. Sooner or later, my kids will stop asking me questions. Sooner or later, they'll stop asking me to play with them. Do I want it sooner or later? Because when you're in the throes of it, it's exhausting. Yeah. But by middle school, yeah. See you later, mom. Yeah. See you later, dad. I think we grossly underestimate the significance of prayer, both the results we want and what we learn about God in the process. Mm. Mm. Find out what God is doing. Put your shoulder to the wheel. Then God lets you pretend you're pushing. Mm. And you can tell these are, you know. Yeah. Well, to lighten the load, I used to use this as my Twitter identifier. If God could use Balaam's ass, maybe he could use me. <laughs> I got in trouble from a friend of mine. He goes, you'd like to use that curse word. I said, you're the one with the King James Bible, not me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. What's one final thought, though, for folks just trying to live intentionally in a new year? Final thought. What do you want? Yeah. What do you want? And if you can't clearly answer that question, that's where you got to sit. Mm-hmm. We don't know ourselves well. We're too... Social media for all the wonder has really ruined our neurological neuroplasticity is jacked up. It's a problem. It's a Mm -hmm. big problem. I think we're going to see MRFIs affecting the brain Mm -hmm. with the way we're getting these dopamine hits and the way we're using tech. It's going to be a diminishing returns. So you got to ask yourself, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Do I want to be a good husband, a good wife? have really great kids, be a good grandma, grandpa. Do I want to be more successful at work? Yeah. Do I want to 
learn what God really wants from my life, and then enjoy the process. Write it down on a piece of paper. I used to have my goals taped on the mirror when I shaved in the morning, and I had certain ones. I would put a post-it on the steering wheel of my car when I used to commute mm. just to remind me. This, mm-hmm. is the, this is what I'm working towards. I'm, this is what I'm going yeah, for. Yeah, I'm distracted. Yeah. So what do you want? Yeah. And the more clearly you can answer that question and then pray about it and work toward it, and you might just be blown away how God will answer that. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.